I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm really excited to announce my partnership with Book of the Month Club, bookofthemonth.com. Book of the Month has been around since 1926, although not as a website, obviously. And each month you can pick from the five books that they think are the greatest, which are their books of the month, and you can pick the one you want the most, and they'll send it to you. It's really fantastic. In September, they had an early release of Adrian Broder's Wild Game, which I'm releasing this week, and it's fantastic. I have a special code for my listeners, code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y. So if you put in this exclusive code, you will get your first book for just $5, which is an exclusive offer that they're not offering to anybody else, and that's really exciting. So you should definitely sign up. Use code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y. They really have fantastic books, and And um, I use the service myself. I've given it as gifts. I adore it. And you should definitely sign up and let me know what you think. Vanessa Lilly is the debut author of thriller Little Voices, a former editor for an e-publisher with 15 years of marketing and communications experience. Vanessa currently lives in Rhode Island with her husband and son. She's originally from Oklahoma and actually won a poker tournament in St. Martin. Welcome, Vanessa. Thanks so much for coming on Mom's No Time to Read Books. Thank you so much. I'm a huge fan, so I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, this is so fun for me, too. I know we've been talking for so long. So <laughs> so Little Voices, debut thriller, super exciting. Tell me what Little Voices is about and what inspired you to write it. Little Voices is the story of a woman postpartum who is both struggling as a new mom, but then also her friend was murdered actually on the night she went into labor. And so she very much wants to return to who she was before, to be able to investigate, to be able to help find justice for her friend. And so it's the story of of an investigation. And it's also the story of motherhood, which is something I really wanted to read because I thought of this story and wrote a lot of it as a new mom. And I wanted to see a new mom at the heart of a thriller, which is my favorite genre. The way you described new motherhood was so real, especially all the doubts and insecurities that come with it. And you had so many scenes and I'll just read a few examples. So Devin is your main character who, and she's like filled with the self-loathing at times. So much so that she has all these negative voices floating around her head telling her she's doing a bad job. And you wrote, this child hates the look of me, my smell, the taste of my breath, refused by her tiny, perfect mouth. I want to be a good mother more than anything. I do not accept this failure. And then you say, after two hours of failing to soothe Esther, I am a possessed form, thighs burning, tears in both our eyes, as I obsessively bounce on the workout ball to exercise these whales from my child. And then in italics, it says, you were never meant to be a mother. If she had a different mother, she'd never cry at all. So tell me about all this sort of negative self-talk. Is this how you talk to yourself? I want to like give you a a hug or something. Well, that's so nice. I'll always take a hug. Um, (laughs) I think as a new mom, you are very susceptible because one, you don't know what you're doing. And two, the world likes to tell you that you're doing things wrong. And never in your life have you been more vulnerable, at least for me, to that feedback. And so while the voices in my head were not as severe or serious as my main characters, it wasn't that hard to take it there because I did worry that my experience was that there was usually something that was hard. And for my son, he didn't sleep much for two years and that's a long time. And so I, you wonder when you're exhausted, if you're doing something wrong, if he had a different mother, would he be sleeping more or is it just him? But you have no answers. And so you just worry. So it was definitely 
a dark place, but it felt true to kind of my own experience as a mom who wanted to do things right, but just didn't know how to do them most of the time. That's the worst part. It's like the lack of control and the uncertainty and nobody being able to tell you like what you're doing. (laughs) Or even when you start doing something right, they change. (laughs) And it's like, oh, wow, he's been napping so well this week. I must be the best mom in the world. And then he goes through a sleep progression. You're like, oh, no, I'm not the best mom. It was just a good week. Yeah, totally. Oh, my gosh. You actually start this whole anxiety train of thought in the book, even when you're pregnant, which I completely relate to. You wrote, when I was in my first trimester, I made a list of probable complications that could occur during labor. 17 of them seemed worth categorizing and diagramming and obsessing over. They're tucked away in a tiny spreadsheet on my computer. (laughs) I can so relate to that. Did you actually, you didn't actually have a list, did you? Or did you joke about, uh, tell me. That was about two degrees further than I actually was. So (laughs) it was a very small step, but I definitely read the books and I worried. What was a big help was I joined a pregnancy group. And so you can sit around with other new moms or moms who will be new moms, all of us first time. And we really just talked about our anxiety and it felt good to know that I wasn't the only one worrying and obsessing because, you know, for a lot of us, you want this so bad. And some people have been trying for a long time and it's so close. I mean, it's just, it's inside of you and you can literally feel it growing. And so there's just, there's nothing more kind of triggering for anxiety than when you're just so close, you can almost touch it. And it's something you want more than you've almost wanted anything in your whole life. So to me, it just you know, pushed all those buttons and I needed to write about it and express it. I imagine that a lot of people felt the same way. And did writing help you? Absolutely. That's, that's how I, I process a lot of feelings is if I can, even if it's just journaling or making a list, writing calms my mind and focuses it. And so, you know, you're almost naming emotions or you're naming a problem and there's power to that. Or maybe it's that it takes the power away from the emotion And you can take it back and get some sense of control. And writing about this postpartum time in my life helped me see it for what it was and explore the hard parts and the good parts, all with the hope that it would connect with other people, because that's a lot of what I craved as a new parent was just to connect with others and be like, am I alone or do you kind of feel this way? You know? And do you now have people just like pouring out of the woodwork telling you that you felt that they felt the same way? Yes. And I love it. Like (laughs) I've had many people like women, but at this point I'm pretty new. So, you know, maybe good friends who've read it and they're just like, Oh my gosh, I'm the same way. And I'm like, I know I am too. You're not alone. Like we, it's hard for all of us and it's okay that it's hard. And even though this is a thriller and you know, there's a lot of of crazy things that happen. The heart of it truly is just a terrified new mom. And I put all of my terrified new mom experiences into that. Thank you for that. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I remember even like before I had kids sitting on the couch with my giant belly and spending hours researching different strollers. So worried I would like pick the wrong one. And then once I had the kids, I was like, it's not like it was a car. Do you know what I mean? Like if I bought the wrong stroller, I could return it. I could get a different stroller. Like these aren't such big deals. The wrong brand of bottle warmer. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Somehow everything is like amplified. Yes. And stuff is something you can control. Mm -hmm. You can control the stroller you buy. You can control the wallpaper in the baby's room. Those are things that you actually have control over. Like 95% of it you don't. 
So it's nice to just hang on and think about and worry about things that you know in the end you will be the one buying it. And that's that was my experience. Is that I was like, why? I've never thought about wallpaper this much in my entire life. What's going on here? Why am I so fixated on the baby's room, even though he's not even in there for like the first, you know, three, four months, he's in my room. So, well, it's easier also intellectually, not easier, but emotionally saying like, I'm worried about, you know, do I need a wipe warmer versus what if something happens with this pregnancy? Because that's really what we're all worrying about the whole time. I feel Mm -hmm. like I held my breath that twin pregnancy the whole time. And I still hold my breath for my kids. Like I never really exhaled that breath. And your book also really touches on loss in so many ways and, you know, gets to the heart of the true fear that really unites all of us mothers and parents, not just mothers. Absolutely. And I think it's maybe a cliche, but this idea of your heart is now outside your body is just the truest statement to me because you imagine what it's like, but you do not know until you hold that child and you see it and you think, wow, you're mine. And I'm connected to you on this cellular fundamental level. And with that comes fears that, you know, it's one thing to worry about yourself getting hit by a bus or something that feels completely different as a parent thinking about something happening to your child. I mean, it's just, and I imagined it, but experiencing it for me, was just so much bigger. And it can be a daily worry if you let it. Yeah, because as soon as you create a life, you're creating a loss, right? In yeah, at whatever right. time it happens. So it's terrifying. <laughs> it I mean, it's terrifying. just terrifying. Rewarding and amazing, but also... Anyway, sorry to... <laughs> well, it is. But I think that with, you know, with books or movies or anything, like... We, we like, while there's like true crime obsessions and things, I mean, we want to explore the dark parts. Maybe it's to help prepare us for them. Maybe it's just our own worries. But with Little Voices, I did want to take it as far as I could because I was worrying about things. But also there is some sense of being seen and understood, even if it's a story that goes so far beyond your own experience. If you can connect with it, for me, it it kind of, it brought me back to a, a more normal place, even though it's going to an extreme. I don't know if that made sense, but that's definitely how I felt when I was writing it. And your book is not just about being a new mother. It's about losing a friend. So there's this murder that happens right away. And then the investigation behind that. And after a while, I was like, did she work at the FBI? Did you intern there? So like, there was so much detail with the investigation and the agents and the protocol and all of it. So that was also very engrossing because you're like in it with these people, right? But thank you. So a great way to procrastinate writing is by researching, I have found. So I loved going down rabbit holes online and you can find crazy stuff. People talking about their experiences being investigated by the FBI. And I don't know if it's true, but it sounded true enough. And that just has to be believable if you're writing. (laughs) So I loved, you know, looking into it. And there's also so much good TV, you know, like, I mean, you just watch The Wire or Scandal is a great fixer show. I mean, there's just a lot of inspiration out there. And so I enjoyed the research and trying to create something that I really had no experience with. So I'm glad you liked it. That was fun for me. I wanted this as a new mom who felt like I had a kind of a mushy brain. I wanted this story to have a pretty complex mystery at the center of it. 
just that was something I was craving as a reader and a writer. And so there were a lot of twists and turns and the FBI and the police, because that's just something I was in the mood to try to create that had nothing to do with diapers and how many poops and peas there were that day or whatever the daily struggle was. So take me through your writing career, so to speak. How did you end up at this point where you could craft a thriller like this? Thank you. So in my early 20s, I had a nice PR job and nonprofits. I was living in DC. I have a great boyfriend who's now my husband. Like I was living in DuPont Circle, which is a really cool place to live. And I just felt really restless and unsatisfied. And I knew that all the other pieces of my life were going pretty well. And I finally kind of narrowed it down to the fact that I wasn't being creative anymore. And so I just started writing. And at the time I was reading kind of women's fiction and some romance novels. I love romance. And I joined Romance Writers of America, which is an awesome organization of women who care a lot about craft. And so I just jumped in. And I mean, I wrote a really bad women's fiction. It was basically an adult princess diaries. But you know what? (laughs) I wrote it and it was a good experience. And I just kept working. I wrote another book that I ended up querying probably well over 100 agents and had a lot of good feedback and went round and round for like really 10 years of just conferences and pitching and reading craft books and connecting with other writers and there's a lot of ways to kind of go about it. And I didn't get my MFA. I mean, I did study English in college, but I think if you just love the craft of writing and you enjoy it, there are a lot of organizations that can really help you get there. And so any credit to this book and my debut is really just because there are a lot of people out there who've either written books or held sessions at conferences and, you know, just making yourself get out there and get in the mix. You can learn so much. And I've heard that there's sort of formula elements to a thriller. How did you do it? Did you have an outline? Did you have a checklist? How did you go about it? Yeah. So there's sort of two schools of thought about writing style. So there's writing by the seat of your pants, a pantsters, kind of the funny term, or there's outliners, right? And it's just, it feels like this very, like you're either A or you're B. And for the 10 years I was writing, I was sort of a pantster. I was really writing by the seat of my pants. And for me, that felt creative and it felt exciting and you didn't know what was going to happen next. But also at the end of it, the books were kind of a mess because as you're saying, there wasn't a structure. I mean, there was in that, like when you watch a movie, you know, there should be a turning point here. You know, you know, there's twists that you kind of instinctively know, but there's still more to structure than that. So after I had my son and I started Little Voices, I told myself, look, you cannot write two books over 10 years <laughs> and make this a career. So I studied structure very seriously, ended up entering the National Novel Writing Contest, NaNoWriMo. So you write a really bad book basically in a month, which is a little bit scary, but it's fun. And there are, you know, thousands of people all over the world doing it. And so I sat down and I outlined it as best I could. And, you know, there were still lots of discovery in that process, but now structure is my first thought. And because I know that the creation and the creativity is something that comes, but if the structure isn't there, particularly as you said, for a thriller, you know, you're going to be in some trouble at the end. So I do love structure. I'm a reformed pantster. (laughs) And that's what works for me for now. But, you know, it can change, like probably with kids. Every book is different. <laughs> I feel like it's like when you're trying to like build a house, like 
the part I like is decorating or like picking a fabric or finding a cool pillow or something, but you have to get the floor plan or else you have nothing to really decorate. That's right. And the two by fours have to fit with other two by fours. Like some of it is not that exciting, but you will appreciate it when your roof doesn't fall in. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. So tell me about book two. You already have book two launching in February. Is that true? I do. You know, I actually just got, so this is the first time that I wrote a book and I knew someone was going to read it (laughs) because my debut, I had no idea. And so that was a new experience. And I do think with the process of this one, I did a better job in terms of writing. Like there were some craft things that were clicking just through this experience of the first book, but it is a little scary thinking, okay, people are going to read this. It was definitely kind of a sophomore experience. So I just got a bunch of notes back from my editor and I'm jumping into those. At this point, it's still set on the east side of Providence. Philip, who's a character in Little Voices, and Detective Ramos, who's also a character, are going to be in this book. But the main character, she is very different. And she's probably what people would consider an unlikable female character, um, though I certainly like her or I liked writing about her. And she's a nonprofit CEO who has a pretty serious drinking problem and she's accused of a murder and she's the only suspect. So she investigates this murder of her as the main suspect through a vlog, which is something I discovered with my son, which are sort of a video diary of her looking into the crime. And that's both the crime, but then also an exploration of kind of who she is and her past. I'll probably need to work on that pitch a little bit, but that's generally what it is. (laughs) That sounds good. Do you have a title yet or can you not say? For right now, it's for the best. Like it. And you had lots of other titles for Little Voices. Yeah, this was the fourth. Little Voices was the fourth one. So that, (laughs) I was, you know, very open to titles, but it's such a very particular, it's like a child's name. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just hits people a certain way. And where we ended up, I was really happy with because the voices are kind of, I think a lot of, the conflict in the central part of her, my main character's story. Tell me the other three again. I read yeah. okay. of it. So the first title I had was just a, like a focusing title just to keep me focused. And it's dark is the road, like R-H-O-D-E, like Rhode Island. So obviously that's not going anywhere, but it helped me think about the darkness and a lack of clarity. And then Rhode Island is also, I've only lived here eight years and I'm obsessed with the state. I think it's the most interesting, quirky, cool place. So a lot of Little Voices has a lot of Rhode Island in it because that's where I am. And I'm very fascinated by this place. Then the next one was Blood in the Water, which is a lot. Um, (laughs) And the feedback I got was it was maybe just a, a little too genre, which I guess means there's a little more women's fiction elements in this. And so it was a little too hard. So then this is the funny one. So I sent my agent a list of spread, like a spreadsheet list, going back to your question earlier, of title ideas. And the one that we landed on is the afterbirth, which makes everyone kind of sit up and so that got quickly nixed by my editor. And I sent her a little voice and she came back with little voices. And I was like, oh, that's it. So titles are, yeah, titles, covers, it's, it is marketing, but it's important because it hits you a certain way and it's supposed to communicate what those hundred thousand words are about in a second. It's really wild. I mean, it's, it's a wild that it, it even works at all to attract the, you know, the right people. I mean, I guess they've got it down to a science, but I feel like even I've noticed as I've been going through like more piles by genre, like 
even the font. I feel like the font, the capitals versus lowercase, like the colors, like this is a thriller versus this is not a thriller. You know, it's easy to get dumped into a category. So maybe it's more helpful to be very clear about what type of book you're writing. (laughs) Yes. I mean, the font, I think, you know, is it literary fiction? What's trendy in literary fiction? It's really interesting. I'm a little geeky about fonts and book covers. And I love to just kind of see what's coming out because it does, it tells you a lot about how the publisher sees this book in the market. And, you know, (laughs) when it works, it works. And it's exciting to kind of see trends. And yeah, I love it too. I think it goes back to what we were saying before we started recording about how we enjoy Instagram because it's an opportunity for people to be creative, right? And it gives everybody a glimpse into someone else's point of view on something, which in and of itself is interesting. And that's sort of like the book cover thing. It's like somebody else's take on something and that creative output is also super interesting. Mm -hmm. And interpretation, which is all writing a book is, that's the kind of crazy part of it is you just write it and then everyone else will reflect it back in their own experiences. And the same with a book cover. Often it's a great artist who does book covers. The woman who did my book cover is does all sorts of really cool visual art projects. And then she also does book covers. And so you get another person's interpretation of your story based on their own artistic experience. I I ended up really enjoying it even more than I expected because it's just interesting to see a creative person's interpretation of a book. Right. So interesting. Well, awesome. (laughs) We were also talking earlier about some of your advice to aspiring authors. You were giving me advice, but (laughs) talk to me about following momentum and when life sort of throws things at you, your advice on what to do with it and any other advice you have for aspiring authors. There's something about a creative momentum and, you know, whether it's the universe or the world, I think there's a lot of writers who've also written about this, but it's when something happens to you that really strikes a chord and you feel passionate about it and you feel energy for it and you want to pursue it, I think you have to kind of honor it and you have to follow it and, and see what happens. And, you know, hopefully it connects with other people. Hopefully there's opportunities to share it. But I, I do think there is a creative power in following the momentum. And when you're open to what's happening around you, I mean, for me, I never even considered writing a thriller about a new mom, but because that was my experience and my heart was kind of longing to be connected to people in that way, I just went for it and, you know, had to work really hard to get it to a place that was publishable. But I think if you are drawn to a topic, if you're connected particularly and have experiences that come from like true emotional places, particularly for a debut when it's, it's really hard to get a debut novel published and you're unproven and that's just how it is. And so if you can write, I think from those true experiences and really follow them through, I think there's a lot of power in that and truth really. And people will feel that connection. I mean, the, the rawness of new motherhood is in my book because I was in it. And I think that's almost like a form of shorthand and it takes you to those important creative places that can be harder to find as a newer author because they're true to you and your experiences. And do you feel like you read a lot of thrillers to get a sense of it? Like, or did you just jump? I mean, I know you had already referenced the groups that you're a part of and meeting other authors, but was reading an essential part for you in crafting your own thriller? Yeah. So 
it was kind of twofold. So on the one hand, this would have been 2015. There weren't quite as many thrillers with new moms at the center of them. And so part of it was just wanting to see a new mom at the center of a thriller, which is my favorite genre. I read lots of thrillers, but you know, it is often a detective, the domestic thriller kind of boom was just happening, but it was much more kind of gone girl versus The Perfect Mother by Amy Malloy is a wonderful book with new moms at the center. The Couple Next Door by Sherry LaPena is another great postpartum thriller, but that was just starting to come out. And so I just had a longing to see something in the marketplace, which I think is a good sign. If you are a reader in your genre and you have a feeling that you want to see something else, I think that's a good instinct. Maybe follow that and and see what you can create. And then as other books started coming out, that gave me some confidence that, okay, I'm not the only one. People do want to see new moms at the heart of these thrillers like I did. And so it kind of gave me some extra confidence too. And are you thinking you might ever write a book about the insecurity of being like a teenage mom or... You know, eventually like an eight year, I mean, like, how old are your kids now? I'm not sure. You're, he's four he's, and a half. He's four and a half. So are you like going to kindergarten? Like maybe now you'll just have to follow your life, right? That sounds great. I think I've really enjoyed exploring new motherhood. I think if I tried to write this book now with a four and a half year old, there's so much I don't remember. I, you know, like kind of flipping back through this book, I was like, oh yeah. I think when you're in the moment to capture it, either through journals or diary, you know, just it's just so easy to forget it. And not only to forget the particular experiences, but to forget the emotions and what you really felt and what really made you cry and what was really hard. Like, you know, I think I probably would have forgotten how difficult showering was if you're a nursing mother, because it hurts. That's just something you want to forget. But if you're writing and creating around these moments, I do think it captures it. So And, you know, my four and a half year old's pretty nutty. So there's a lot to capture and a lot to follow. They're very entertaining. (laughs) Well, I look forward to following the progression of your mothering as well as your writing. (laughs) Hopefully it's not quite as mired in anxiety as it was in the beginning. So, (laughs) well, no promises. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience and coming on my podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's really wonderful. And like I said, I'm such a fan and it's, incredible to hear writers talk about their experiences and what goes on behind them. So thank you very much for all that you do. No problem. It's my pleasure. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks again for my new partnership with Book of the Month Club, bookofthemonth.com. Use code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, to get your first book for just $5 and sign up for this really fantastic subscription box service. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 